On a mission of revenge, the party is exposed to several harbingers of a greater doom. They move along the bluffs to the mansion where Captain Castigari, the man who betrayed them on the island of Skagros, is running a smuggling operation. But before they get there, they see that there is a storm, a dreadful storm, a storm like they've never seen before on the horizon line coming out from the sea towards them. When the wizard Calda sends his familiar in to scout the house, it's beyond the telepathic connection range, and so he has to wait until the familiar comes back into range to know what's happened, but the familiar never returns from the house. Something has killed it. When they arrive, they find Captain Castigari's men terrified of something and in battle, and the emphasis here is on something. When they go into the house, they're in a room with a locked door, and they can still hear the screams of the men from the deeper interior of the ruined mansion. Once they go through the door, they see what it is. It's an elemental creature of water, in the shape of a kraken. It's tearing through the men, and once it detects their presence in this other room, it begins to streak towards them. They slam the door shut, but it's not enough, because the thing is able to flow underneath the door and the party finds themselves in battle with a foe that is far more powerful than they are. They manage to vanquish the creature, but unfortunately, one of their own falls and is ushered through the gates of death. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. There were three sections to the game session last night. First was before they arrive at the mansion. The second section is what happens when they're inside the mansion. And the third section, which is not really the thing that happened last, but was nested within the interior of the mansion portion of the, of the session, was the druid character's uh, adventure in the land of death. I'm going to take those out of order. And I'm going to rank them from least complex to most complex. The least complex thing that happened during the game session was what happened inside the mansion. Inside the mansion was trying to stealth through this interior environment. And predominantly it was doing battle with a water weird. When they arrive, they find that the smugglers, who they expected to be the threat they would be dealing with, we're dealing with something else themselves entirely. One man was outside at the back patio of the house yelling up to his comrades. They could hear the sounds of panic and scream and battle going on inside. But it wasn't normal. It was really, it sounded like a bunch of men who were facing something that they couldn't understand and that was probably killing a lot of them. And as it turned out, it killed pretty much all the smugglers that were in the upper levels of the house. They get inside, they find that there's water everywhere, and this is all a function of the ultimate thing that they'll be dealing with in this particular environment, which is the summoning of a kraken. And this is a mild manifestation of what happens when a kraken is summoned. According to the lair effects, there's, um, or I should say the, the regional effects, there are water elementals. Now, I opted to go with Water Weird because it's a heck of a lot closer to the party's challenge rating, but it's a CR3, which is a tough encounter for a second level group. 
What happens is there's water on the ground and the druid figures out that, hey, this isn't natural. But before they can really decide on a course of action, they peek through the door, they see this water weird, which is this monstrous looking tendril of water that's coming up out of the, the, the pool and attacking all these guys in the, in the mansion's foyer. The creature quickly turns on them and the battle is tough because it has resistance to most of their physical attacks. The first couple of things that are thrown, well, the first thing that's really thrown at them that's magical in nature is a firebolt, which while it doesn't say in the rules that it has resistance to that, I gave it resistance to the firebolt. And then it, they begin to chip away with it with things like Ray of Frost, which don't do a ton of damage. In fact, the stuff that was actually most effective against it was Bren, who was just dealing a lot of physical damage, even if it was cut in half. It has a lot of hit points, and functionally it has double that amount when it has resistance to most of the attacks being thrown against it. In the beginning of the battle, I didn't roll that well, and it wasn't really hitting them. Once it did, the battle rapidly turned from something that seemed like it would be a war of attrition, where they're slowly whittling this thing down, to one where they actually decided to run away at the very, very end. I managed to crit, unfortunately, the uh, the druid, Bruce, I should say Mir, played by Bruce, and he got sucked into the vortex and drowned. And that leads into the, the next section of it, which I'll talk about in a few moments. After they managed to defeat the water weird, they, the party decided to try to investigate the rest of the house. They discovered that there were a few men still upstairs in the second level, but when they went up to engage with them, those guys rapidly jumped out windows and escaped. They had no desire to stay here and be part of this. So the party managed to track their way in the lower level down to the stairs that lead into the basement and ultimately discover the secret door that will lead them to the caverns underneath the mansion. At this point, the session was over. We had been playing for four hours. The third thing that I of the, of the three things, that was the second thing that happened and the least complex because it's the most straightforward. You're basically doing a quote-unquote dungeon crawl and you're dealing with a combat. The next most complicated thing was something that was nested within that, and I call it the third section, which is in, my, in this particular campaign, because of the nature of how I've established the, uh, the gods and the pantheon, if the first time you drop below zero hit points, you get one death saving throw. If you fail that saving throw, you have to face entities within this nebulous zone between life and death. The premise is that there is no god of death, there's no god of life. There's a whole bunch of different, extremely powerful godlike beings vying for control of this realm. And so when a soul gets close to that edge between life and death, they get sucked into this trial. I make it a little, I've done this a number of times with different uh, people that have played in the game, and it's always been pretty exciting. The players always enjoy it. And the mechanics work like this. I set up a quick map, and it's between you and some entity or series of entities that far outstrips your normal ca capability of handling them. Very powerful stuff. But your character operates a little differently because you're a hero. You're supposed to be special. Every action can be used as a full action. So you have three things you can generally do in a round. I'm holding reactions aside. Action, move, bonus action. I basically hand that to you and say, you can do three of anything you can do. If you, can, if you want to attack, you can make three attacks. If you want to move, you can make three moves. If you want to cast spells that take one action, 
You can do that three times. If there's a bonus action you really want to be able to do, spend one of the actions on a bonus action. It's all up to you. So the character is sort of untethered from their physical constraints and is able to do a whole horde of stuff. If you are a spellcaster, you have unlimited spell slots that you normally have access to. The higher level you are as a spellcaster, certainly the more potent you're going to be in this combat. In this case, we had a druid character, and he has all first-level spells, and this means that he could be casting first-level spells constantly. What he's faced with is he's faced with a portal down into, let's call it the netherworld, for lack of a better term, and there's a moat of energy which represents his very soul, and then there's his manifestation in this realm. On top of that, there were about seven shadow demons. These are fairly potent, certainly for any second level character, but in addition to having just untethered actions, unlimited spell slots, you also have double the normal amount of hit points, and because his character uses his quarterstaff with the cantrip shillelagh, I turned it into a full-blown magic weapon for him in this particular encounter. So it's a second level druid, versus seven shadow demons, he's got these souped up abilities and he has the functional equivalent of a plus three weapon. His job is to figure out what he's supposed to do. Through the whole battle, I'm giving him subtle clues like, the energy of your life really wants you to come and be in contact with it. He didn't do that, he stayed separate from it, and I think he was attempting to draw the shadow demons away from his life essence. That makes sense. If he had merged with his energy source earlier, I would have given him a number of other benefits, but it would have had the downside of potentially using and tapping into that life energy in order to do battle. The catch is, you have all of this great stuff at your disposal, but if you die here, that's it. You're dead and gone, and your soul has been devoured. If you survive, you go back to the land of the living, and now the mechanics for death work normally for you. If you drop below zero hit points, you get three death saving throws just like normal. Additionally, when the time comes when they're able to take a proper long rest, he will immediately level up to level 3. On a side, I'm going to be giving him insight into what's happening in the campaign based on the spiritual awakening that would have been part of this near-death experience. It's a little kitschy, I guess, but he seemed to really enjoy it, and it was a real highlight of the session. Now everyone else has to kind of sit and watch, but hopefully everyone took that in stride because... That seems to be what happens in role-playing games at times. You have to kind of let someone else have the spotlight. In his case, it was him fighting for his very life. Because Bruce is a bit of a tactical genius, he really managed to pull it off, killed all of the shadow demons, and was able to save his life energy and return to the land of the living. Which brings us to the first part of the evening, which was the more challenging and difficult part of the evening from a general role-playing standpoint. Just ahead of the session... Bruce sent out a note to everyone saying, hey, I kind of think that Miggs, who sent us on this revenge mission, who gave us the information necessary to pursue this revenge mission, I think he may be playing us. He was the one that sent us to the island of Skagros to begin with. So what if this isn't about Castigari, the captain who betrayed them, and what if this is really about Miggs using us to do his bidding without really getting our consent to do that? Now, the reason I think this descent the entire session into a bit of a spin was, well, functionally, we spent a good part of an hour having the players debate back and forth. I'm sure anyone who's DM'd for any length of time has gone through this, and I, 
there needs to be some kind of a na of a word that represents what this is for a DM to sit through. Something in the vein of Schadenfreude. I don't really, I can't really encapsulate it, but it feels like there's this very specific emotion, which is I'm very happy that people are engaged with the story and trying their best to come up with a great idea for how to proceed. You're, you're listening to their theories and you know which ones are correct. You know which ones are quote unquote incorrect. And you also know which are the ones that have the greatest ability to derail every single thing you've prepared for tonight's session. So there's sort of a bittersweet thing going on here where you're desperate to just chime in. You wish you had an NPC and to say something, but at the same time, you don't want to say anything because you know this is what the game is about, letting them make these kind of decisions. The only thing that I think stands as a point of concern is, are the players getting frustrated with this process? Because it's a lot of talk and it tends to go around in circles. People change opinions. People go back and forth. Do we continue to go after this guy? Folks start to throw out very different strategies that go completely against the vein of what they had um, what they had decided to do ahead of this session. In the end, they decided to keep going. They decided to look for an opportunity to speak to Captain Castigari and see if they could find out more about it. Of course, I'm sitting there knowing you're going to get to that house and it's not going to be about the smugglers. It's going to be about Castigari, who, through circumstances, is actually attempting to commune with a Kraken and as a result is drawing all this stuff into the region in Outpost 9, then he really does need to be stopped. The other thing that has really weighed on my mind since then is party motivation. And as we get into the next session or section of this audio journal, I really want to devote most of my time to talking about that because otherwise the session went really well. The only thing that I have to um, pull apart is this concept of party motivation and how that feeds into their interactions, their decisions, and how that can be exacerbated by things like more of a sandboxy type approach where the characters have lots of different options and avenues which they can pursue as opposed to a clear straight track that everyone's supposed to be on. So what worked and what maybe didn't work so well? What I think worked was the, the Thunderdome-like deathmatch between Bruce's druid and the agents of death who are trying to devour his soul. I, I, I say that though qualified because I was not expecting this to happen and so I had not prepared a custom version of the Gates of Death for his character, which is what I normally like to do. He got uh, something that was a little bit more generic. Um, it, it looks like a shadow realm and there's a pit of blackness and then there's a moat of luminous energy which represents his soul and he had to fight all of these demonic creatures. The player reaction was incredibly positive. I think he really enjoyed the combat. He's a very tactical player, or I should say. He's a player who's exceedingly good at tactics and really seems to enjoy a tactical challenge. And that's precisely what this was. And to be honest, without his tactical knowledge, I don't think he would have survived. So huge kudos to him. I think he really made the most of it. And there's still more to come for him from that encounter, some knowledge that should come from it. This is the type of story stuff that I really enjoy doing because you get to say, well, this character has gone through 
a life-altering event now, they should be altered, and they will be, but they should also gain certain knowledge. So I'm going to be able to give him information and clues about the, the way the cosmology of the world works that he wouldn't have had um, without going through this, and more importantly, that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to provide to him without him going through this. I think also the setting really worked. And uh, I'll, I'll take half credit for this, but it, it's a it's something that I don't hear talked about very, very much, but I was very particular in finding the kind of setting elements for these encounters that would all gel together. It's by the sea. We had this sort of sea captain motif going on. I was able to find an old D&D module that had a really good map that I could use that m matched with the bluffs. I did a lot of thinking about the idea that there was a kraken being raised and how could I possibly bring the concept of a kraken to effective use with a second level party. And I looked at the ancillary and, and side effects that occur when a kraken is nearby and was able to really pull some things together that I, I think um, I, it allowed me to foreshadow. So there's the storm on the horizon. I have established in my setting that storms are extremely rare, and the, I was able to tell the party, you've actually never seen a lightning strike. You've seen lightning illuminating clouds, or which is just sort of diffuse light, but you've never actually seen a streak of lightning in the air, and now you're seeing dozens of them, and it's pretty terrifying. Uh, I, I think the um, when Call Descent is familiar, it gave me the opportunity to really put... Uh, something before them to, to give them pause, meaning the death of the familiar. And then when they got into the mansion, I had already established that there were pools of water. And I thought it was a very, um, it was an, it was a neat way to set it up so that the, the creature is moving along these really low, like we're talking about like an inch or two of water at most that's on the floor that sort of rises as the thing's coming closer. And I think it sort of presented a very cinematic experience for them in that moment. And then as they, uh, after they had defeated the creature, move further down into the dungeon and, uh, or the, I should say the, the mansion, um, and then ultimately find the secret door, which will lead them towards where the caverns are and what is beyond. All of that sort of gelled. And I have to believe from a player perspective, well, if I take a step back and I say, when I'm a player, I'm not going to say this really irritates me, but what is minorly disappointing is when you, you go through an adventure that just simply has this everything in the kitchen sink approach to design where there's been no thought to really what type of dungeon this is, who would have designed it, or I should say what type of environment. And it's just, hey, there's a room with a thing in there. Great. We'll fight that thing. It's something I'm sensitive to. So I, I, I was pretty pleased with how all the elements came together to sort of present this burgeoning mystery of what's going on here. We thought we were just going to be going in and killing a bunch of smugglers when it turns out that actually there's this greater threat and it's just layering on top of itself until they finally um, learn that Castigari is attempting to raise a kraken so that it can be a god. What was a little more challenged through this episode, I think I still struggle with downtime for players. I don't know how to overcome this. In all story forms, 
giving a character moments completely by themselves where they're outside of the main group, whether this is a film, a novel, TV show. Some of the greatest moments for any character is when it's just them. And there's no way to avoid that. And I think the only way to really be fair about this is to just make sure that everybody is getting their fair turn at something like this. But again, due to circumstances, I had a prolonged section, an entire combat, where Bruce the Druid is going against these agents of death who are trying to suck out his soul. And I have to check with the players to just make sure everyone is still able to enjoy these kind of moments within the story. But it becomes a catch-22 because I don't want to linger on this over long. However, I don't want to rush through it because that actually becomes the worst of both worlds. If you rush through something and don't do a good job at it, then the person who is getting the spotlight isn't enjoying it as much. And everyone who's sitting there watching certainly can't be enjoying it very much. So you have to either say, I'm never going to do those things and therefore I'm going to make it so that it's just a party all the time, which doesn't work for me. Uh, I just don't see how you can really build story and character and uh, cater to your players if you do that, or let it happen, try to be as fair about it and do it right. But it's something that is constantly on my mind because I'm trying to make sure everyone is having a good time. The biggest issue though is something that I actually in my downtime have gone out and polled a, a broader group about, and it's this idea of potential analysis paralysis. At the beginning of our session, we had a long stretch of time, as I have discussed, where the players were thinking and discussing and going back and forth on what to do. I have absolutely no problem with in-game the characters planning and interacting and not looking to me for input. Basically, this is them discussing. I think that is vital and necessary. As I listen to it, though, I start to hear notes of... Uh, frustration because it is possible with these kind of things to beat a dead horse, right? To just be going in circles. The question becomes, if you get the sense that it has shifted from healthy, entertaining discussion into analysis paralysis or inability to come to a decision as the DM, what do you do? So I actually went out to a broader community online and conducted some polls. I conducted a poll amongst uh, dungeon masters and I conducted a poll amongst just players and asked, when this happens, how do you handle it? Do you A, prompt them in game, B, prompt them out of game, C, um, do nothing, or something else? And overwhelmingly, the preference is to prompt them in game. Not do nothing. Do nothing is the second choice and a very distant second. I think the percentages came out something like 70% of respondents, a little under 70% of both DMs and players are saying prompt us in game. The very distant second at about 19% was do nothing. So it's an interesting thing for me because again, I'm responding not so much to the debate as much as I am to the frustration I eventually start to hear in, in, in players' voices as they are going through the debate. And the way that frustration 
usually manifests is something like, hey, can, can we just make a decision? What is interesting is that players are the ones who had a higher predilection to say, prompt us out of game. And I, I think it was a significant, I think, it's a small group that says prompt us out of game, to be fair, but players are 50% are more likely to want that than DMs are. And I think that to a degree, there's a point at which you just have to, as people, just say, hey guys, what are we doing here? Let's, uh, let's figure this out and move towards something meaningful. Subordinate to this issue, in my mind, is something that I'm noticing within this campaign specifically, which is player motivation. Sorry, character motivation. And character motivation is, why are we doing this? Why am I on this adventure? And that's a complicated thing. It doesn't have to be. I think it is the very reason. This exact challenge is why, I think, games in, in the olden days and even in the old school renaissance these days are really like, look, you're playing an adventurer and now we're done talking. And oftentimes the start of the game is you're entering a dungeon, which you knew about, and you're in the dungeon to do adventurer stuff. And we're just, that's it. That's the motivation. I, I think the way we did session zero, the way we've really gone into all these characters has created a, a, a far more rich and robust and complicated set of motivations across the entire swath of these five characters. And that's something that's extremely fertile and that I've been mining. But in situations like this, when a decision was made, and by the way, the decision was made the session at the end of the session prior, and everyone has a week, in this particular case, just a week instead of the normal two weeks, to mull it over. And then as they come into session two, there's all kinds of questions and second guessing and cons further considerations. It leads to uh, a debate that was less about the emotional moment of, hey, this guy that betrayed us is here, we know that, let's go get him, to hang on, is everything what we think it is, or are we being bamboozled? Would my character really, why would my character do this? Why would I need to do this? What's the real benefit of doing this? There Now, the metagamey answer is to say, well, this is an adventure, there's going to be stuff we can take, so let's just go kill everybody and take it. If you do really try to play your character and think it through, you might say something like, well, why wouldn't I just let this go? What is to be gained, right? Me killing this guy doesn't, we, first of all, we escaped Skagros, so we're fine. And now what are we going to do? We're going to go and deal with this dude. And then as the session progressed and it became clearer that things were far more dangerous, it amped that up to say, well, why would I need to, deal with this? Why can't someone else deal with this? And that's, that's, an, that's a genuine and truthful response. But I think from a metagaming out of game standpoint, everyone knows, hey, look, we're all trying to have an adventure. So I, I wonder if the solution isn't something like, you know, you need to approach your character less as just purely the character but from a bifurcated sense where on the one hand you're playing this character, but on the other hand, you are the writer, the co-writer of this game. You need to figure out how to make that work 
with the uh, with the overall session that's in front of you. And I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about how to address this, if I need to address it, and how I, to what extent I need to address it. And I'll likely discuss that in the next audio journal. But this moment at the beginning of the section took a lot of time uh, for the for the characters to go through and eventually just continue to agree that they're going to head towards the mansion and work on this. They there was a there was a time where it was looking like they might decide to turn around and go back and not really engage uh, with the mansion by the by the sea, which was a scary prospect because that's what I was prepared to run. I'm a good improviser. I would have come up with something. There could have been some interesting things, but it certainly would not have been at all the session that I had expected to to be running that night. In the end, it all worked out. They went into the mansion, and a lot of cool stuff happened. But it was scary there for a moment. Not going to lie. Lessons learned, therefore, overall, are that while a... A rich character backstory is incredibly valuable. There are potential downsides if the multitude of backstories do not really align around a, a proper group motivation. I may be in the situation where I've really got to have characters, you know, engage and grow and have little mini arcs to get them all to the point where they could be a cohesive adventuring party and in fact that's probably the key lesson learned i've got to raise this to my players and say hey this is something i noticed number one was that frustrating for you number two how are we going to steer these characters as the collective writers of this campaign towards a little bit more cohesion what's the what's a good path for that and that's sort of the big thing that came out of this because it led me to then go do those polls and basically come up with, well, here's what everyone else out in the world is saying on how they would handle this. Um, I'm not getting a sense that it's a really big problem, but there was an interesting thing, a comment from a player who responded, not a player in my game, but someone who responded to the player's poll on how a DM should handle these situations. And it was to say, you know, I think... Sometimes dungeon masters put together very complicated stories. The characters that I will build for a game are really not intended for complicated stories. And that can be frustrating. And this resonated with me, not because I 100% think that that means don't do complicated stories, but I think that it speaks to a disparity between what players are trying to get out of a game and what dungeon masters are trying to get out of a game. I have a theory that all dungeon masters are frustrated writers. That's not the case for players. They're not attempting to tell a bigger story per se. I'm sure some of them are, but they're trying to embody a character. They're they're, you know, and what I've seen with a lot of players is they'll field a build of a character. They'll make a detailed character. Some of the min-maxers would make something that is mechanically superior to see how it plays out. Others will design a personality and a structure around a character that they want to role play and see how fun that is, see how that character and their voice and everything works in play. But the point is, they're doing an experiment with a character, whereas the dungeon master is focused on these broader, bigger, more complicated stories. And somewhere in the middle needs to be 
this, uh, this give and take that allows all of these facets to really be fulfilled. And it's likely a function of not saying don't do any complications in your plot lines, but maybe pull them back. And in my case, I've got a horde of hooks in this sandboxy style, and I have a predilection towards layering in cooler ideas because I have them and I want to use them, meaning the ideas. But what I likely will be doing is curtailing some of the cool ideas that I've had and storing them for later use as opposed to layering them on now when I'm getting the sense that there's just too much. We need to trim the options down and get a lot more focus in the game. That's it. It was a robust session with a lot of learnings and a lot of feelings coming out of it, positive and I won't say negative, but some concerns. But overall, I think it's all great stuff. I think everyone's continuing to enjoy it. And I'm really excited for what's going to happen as they descend into the caverns below and how I can best prepare myself to deal with that. This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing, throwing us a review, or sharing with your other gamer friends. Thanks for listening. <laughs>